The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everybody. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio Season 2, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. We have some shout-outs today. Susan in Calgary, Canada. Mike in Jacksonville, Florida. Richard in Memphis, Tennessee. Daphne in Portland, Oregon. Dave in Berlin, Germany, Paul in Manchester, England, and two of my buddies uh, that I uh, get a chance to get away down south of the border this week, Jorge and Alfonso from Sayulita, Mexico, and Alex from Cape Town, Africa, and one more from Facebook today. Uh, she and I had a nice little uh, exchange. I want to say if it's Nathalie, it might be Natalie, she pronounces it's from the Netherlands. Hello, good night, Maryland fans, as we are growing around the world each and every day, and it's because of you and this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting many of us for nearly 53 years. As you know, each and every week, uh, we start up where we left off the last week. Well, last week, because of the Lifetime movie, The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, that aired at the end of May, we didn't really get to continue the conversation on the last day of Marilyn's life. So today, we're going to get caught up as we will start back from the 8 o'clock hour uh, on the late night of August 4th to the early morning hours of August 5th and see where we end up today. Uh, But before I get started, uh, I have something I'd like to address. It's something that uh, really got up my crawl, and uh, I do want to address it. Last week, I took a few days off, and I went down to Mexico for a little R&R. Came home to check emails last night, and I have to say I was very disturbed by an article that was on the internet and was featured on Huffington Post and then picked up by the search engines. You know, usually I do my life bites later in the hour, but I'm going to do this one now. I have to say, shame on us, the media, to even give credence to these things. But I feel as a fellow media person, I have to say something to give us all a wake-up call here. I go to my emails last night, and there on the front page is a promotion for a new book coming out in a couple of days all about the morbid details about Marilyn Monroe's death revealed by a famous celebrity mortician. I'm not going to mention his name. I'm not going to even mention his book because he deserves no mention or publicity. But the point I'm going to make, I feel, does. Okay? He details the legendary sex symbol having hairy legs, false teeth, chip, chip nails, and purple blotches all over her face when she was found. Okay? 
Well, guess what? If you're at home, not expecting to go out on the weekend, you may have hairy legs, your nails may be chipped, and you may not have it put together. You know what it's called? It's called being human. It's called being human. In regards to the purple blotches on her body and face, hello, she just passed away. How completely inappropriate that people we entrust with our loved ones, the mortician, go on to describe one of the most vulnerable times in anyone's life, their death. Well, I have a commentary for you, Mr. Mortician. What happens if your daughter, your wife, your granddaughter that someone had hired to lay to rest, they came out with a commentary of your loved one's body parts? Probably wouldn't feel so good. Not only do I think it's unethical, but it's beyond appalling how low we can go as a society that we want to know these things. Is it not sacred anymore, even death? When do we not only as a media, but a society and a culture say enough? This isn't just about Marilyn Monroe. This is about dignity and dying. Here's the thing. The media can put it out there, but guess what? You don't have to buy it. He has the right to free speech, but it will be up to us if we're going to read, print, or televise any of this bullcrap. We can blame the media, but the media puts out what sells. You know, I am all for free enterprise and entertainment. I've been in entertainment for a lot of years, but this is a complete low of the lowest, and I think it's something we should all really think about and what we put as important in our life into what we're reading and watching and listening to. This could be your loved one someone is writing or talking about. She was a person, not some fictional character. You may not be famous. You may not be glamorous. You may not be rich. You may be all of these things. It doesn't matter. We're all human. But it's about time we start acting like human beings and caring for each other and valuing the things we say matter. And this, my fellow listeners, should give us something all to think about when we reach for that book to buy, that TV show to watch, or that radio show to listen, listen to. So with that said, I'm off my soapbox. Here it is, good night, Maryland fans. As you know, each and every week, we are going to start the conversation, and I'd like to introduce my guest lineup. Joining us is licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two, immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray with 20-plus years of research and has a website to help authenticate Marilyn memorabilia, along with Leslie Kasperowitz, who's been with Immortal Marilyn since 1998 and has been studying her for over 25 years. Welcome to the show, panel. Thank you, Nina. Thanks, Nina. Uh, Bravo for everything you just said. Mm -hmm. I wanted to applaud you. That was spot on and fantastic. Well, I have to say, I'm not not a lot of things. I, you know, been been in the media for a lot of years. There are some things that I'll let go over my head, but this one, I just, I went to my my emails and I see that, and I just went, that is the lowest of lows. I mean, it mm-hmm. just, and that's for all of us. I mean, that's why I don't want to mention who he is or what his book is. It doesn't really matter. But what matters is that we all, because that could be 
all of us, one of our loved ones that somebody is doing this to. And I just, I think we have to start to personalize. It's so easy on the internet to post things and, and, and not realize we're talking about real people here. And that's why you guys are all here to actually bring down to the fact that Marilyn was human. And, you know, last week we were talking about the secret life of Marilyn Monroe, and we left on a pretty deep note. We were talking about sexual abuse, and we were talking about the realities of Marilyn's life. And, Gary, I know you wanted to add something. Uh, you know, I know we're starting this this subject off with some deep stuff, but yeah. I think uh, this this is an important topic. So let's let's recount a little bit about what we talked about and what you wanted to add this week before we get started. Well, you know, I believe a large part of Marilyn's um, enduring appeal is um, the empathy and pain, um, the empathy we have for the pain in her life and the life experiences that she had. You know, they're all evoked in each of us, and she attracts many people out there who, like her, have been wounded in some way, um, either they're battling depression or the impact of childhood trauma. And I hear from these people all around the world um, who have read Icon, and, and they tell me that my telling of her story and validating her life also serves to validate the resilience of people today who are, are dealing with these issues. And that's why I wrote the book. I mean, I, I read all of the exploitative biographies like Mary Jane and Leslie have that have come out over the years, written mostly by men who either minimize or deny her child sexual abuse, and they judge her, and they choose to focus on rumors of her flaws, um, but not uh, many facts about her many strengths. So my goal was to tell her story with um, fact and with empathy based upon my research um, and my experience and perspective as a psychotherapist who actually works with adult and child um, trauma survivors and people who have mental illness. And, and, I, and, and Gary, can you, because I think that's kind of an interesting combination that you have, because not only did you spend the time and uh, the dedication and researching thoroughly who Marilyn Monroe is, but your background gives you, a, uh, I would say, a, a more um, in-depth ability to be able to talk about these things. Can you give a little insight into your background? Um, well, for the, probably the past close to 30 years, I've, I've worked um, in the field of mental health in the, in the Tampa Bay area, but my actual clinical work specific to doing therapy began, um, I began as a trauma specialist working with uh, children, mostly in the foster care system, who had survived sexual abuse, physical abuse, and neglect. And I went on to work with children with sexual behavior problems, and of course that has with um, adults um, with major psychiatric diagnoses. And I would say close to 70% of the people with major psychiatric illnesses who come to see me, um, they have histories of trauma and severe trauma in, in their childhood. Um, and, you know, this was Marilyn's history, and it, it impacted who she was and what her struggles were. And I have profound respect for people's resil- resilience. And children are very resilient. And, um, you know, now we have effective treatments. Back in Maryland's day, we didn't have um, the, the advantages. And she was the first public figure who bravely disclosed that she was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse at a time when the culture um, really chose to, to deny it. So, um, you know, I felt that I, I was a male, first of all, 
and I was a qualified male, so I thought I could offer a corrective experience and actually acknowledge and honor her and uh, even make amends on behalf of all the male biographers who came before me who, who didn't um, honor and, and um, acknowledge her. So, yeah. you know, her life and career are, are remarkable, and her story is inspirational, and the fact that, that she died so tragically doesn't um, dismiss this. But I guess I have to say, um, and I've said this before on the show, writing a biography is a tremendous responsibility to the subject. And a biographer has to be fair and be able to sift through facts and fiction and not print every sensationalized or salacious rumor just, just for royalties. I believe she was exploited in life, and unfortunately, people continued to do this in, in her death. So, you know, telling her story is an opportunity to educate the public about these very important issues and to give people hope and give people awareness. Um, and there's hope for, for people dealing with this today. Um, so I wanted to share some phone numbers. Great. So, you know, if someone's out there struggling with depression or struggling with suicidal thoughts, there is a 24-hour suicide prevention hotline, which can be reached at 800 273-8255, and the National Alliance on Mental Health has a helpline at 800-950-6264. And additionally, if anyone out there is aware um, of a child being abused or neglected or suspects that that might be going on, um, individual states have um, child abuse and elder abuse hotlines, but there's also a national child abuse hotline, and that number is 800-422-4453. So I say this and that if it can help one person out there or one child out there, um, then then we've, we've done our work. Now that's a legacy for you to continue, and what a wonderful legacy for Marilyn Monroe, one of the first people to talk about sexual abuse back in the day, and now today, it's talked about quite a bit, but it is still very rampant, and one of the things that people really relate to, not just her glamour, but her vulnerability and her ability to um, relate to people, and this would be a wonderful legacy for us to continue, so thank you for that, uh, based on uh, last week's conversation, and I think it's a great ad to add to uh, the conversation, and we will also post those numbers on our Facebook page so you have them as well. So thank you, Gary, for that. We actually have a caller uh, on the line. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I know this is probably changing the topic a little bit, but I was um, lucky enough to get through and ask a question. And so um, uh, based on the, the other shows that you guys have had, um, I know that you um, talked a little bit about uh, the fact that Marilyn was doing um, a, a lot of sort of uh, work on her craft, on her acting and such. And so I'm wondering what exactly that is um, for, uh, you know, everybody who is looking to, you know, get somewhere in their career. And um, I'm just wondering if you could, if anybody there could, you know, sort of uh, speak a little bit about it and I'll sit back and listen. So uh, where are you calling from and what's your name? Uh, my name's Christine, and I'm calling actually right now. I'm outside in a beautiful day here in northern New Jersey. 
All right, from northern New Jersey. So, uh, Christine, and, and so you're wanting to know what exactly she did to study for her craft? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, what did she okay. do? I mean, you know, it's obviously um, I've seen or read things about her that she, um, you know, she was serious about her, you know, her acting. And um, I just want to okay. know if anybody there can shed any light on that. All right, so Leslie, you want to answer that? Sure. Um, yeah, from the, the beginning of her career, Marilyn um, studied very hard. Um, she started taking acting, singing, and dancing lessons in the late 40s. Um, when she was on, under contract to 20th Century Fox, she took every class available to her. Um, she was quoted as having said that she would rather pay for an acting lesson than buy a hamburger to eat. Um, that's how serious she was. She would rather take lessons than eat. Um, she studied under um, Michael Chekhov, who was a very famous um, acting coach. Um, she also studied with Natasha Lightes, who was her acting coach for many years. Um, from early in her career, around the time of Ladies of the Chorus, they met at Columbia Pictures. Uh, and then right through the seven-year itch, she had Natasha Lightes with her on the set through all her films. Um, and after that, when she moved to New York, she began studying with Lee Strasberg, who was of the Method Acting School. She attended classes at the Actors Studio in New York. She was not an official member, but um, sat in on many of the classes there, um, studying with some of the, the biggest names and the greats of the theater and of, of movies. Um, and Paula Strasberg, who was Lee Strasberg's wife, was her acting coach for the rest of her life and on set with her um, on all of her films. Um, and method acting, I don't know how much you know about it, but it's really about using your life experience to bring that to the role and to your performance. And so Marilyn um, worked really hard on that, on finding the motivation for her characters and then finding her own experiences and bringing those to the forefront um, to make her roles better and to make her performance better. So that was kind of her focus in acting um, for the second half of her career right through her final film. All right. Well, we have to take a quick break. Christine, thank you for the call. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn. The panel will start the discussion the last day of Marilyn's life starting at 8 p.m. right after the break. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Good Night, Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well, I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well, first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops, and then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, 
um, very personal and, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com and hopefully we'll see you in the movies. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, you're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. Today's theme, the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. We are starting at the 8 o'clock hour. My guests are Gary Vitaco Robles, his book, Icon, the Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. We have Leslie Kasperowitz, Immortal Marilyn, has been with, with them for uh, since 1998, 25-plus years of research on Marilyn Monroe. Mary Jane Gray, also a wonderful researcher, has some great articles. Both of, they, both of these ladies do on Immortal Marilyn, some of the truth about Marilyn Monroe. Um, Mary Jane also authenticates any Mar- Marilyn memorabilia. Um, Mary Jane, before we get started on the panel discussion, do you have have uh, this week's misquote. Yes. Um, this week's misquote is actually, I think, out of all the fake quotes, the one that sounds the most like something Marilyn would have actually said. And <laughs> okay. it is, a sex symbol is a heavy load to carry when one is tired, hurt, and bewildered. Wow. Um, but that Marilyn sounds... did not say that. It was actually said about Marilyn by Clara Bow, who was the superstar it girl of the 1920s. And after Marilyn's death, Clara made a statement in an interview, and she said, she was so lovely and too young to die, God bless her. I never met Marilyn Monroe, but if I had, I would have tried very hard to help her. A sex symbol is a heavy load to carry when one is tired, hurt, and bewildered. And Marilyn herself did once uh, speak about being a sex symbol in her last interview, and she said, I never quite understood it, this sex symbol. I always thought symbols were those things you clash together. And she said, that's the trouble. A sex symbol becomes a thing. I just hate being a thing. Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's actually a really great misquote because I would have thought for sure that she would have said something like that. And the fact that somebody said that, uh, said that about her and especially Clara Bow, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, who she was as a, as a movie star in her own right. Um, we actually have a, um, we have a caller, Jean from North Carolina. Hi, are you there? Hi, I am. Hi, what's your question? Um, I actually saw a video um, interview of Natasha, um, and I think it was shot a few days before Marilyn died. Um, It was actually in French. Um, Okay. And someone translated it, and they said that, um, she said that some of Marilyn's childhood claims were exaggerated. 
Um, and I kind of wonder if she's referring to abuse, her abuse claims, and why, you know, why would she say that about someone who, you know, she claims to, to love and be friends with. Anybody want to jump in with that question? Uh, I know the, the interview that she's referring to, and I think in regards to that, you have to remember that the studio would put out these biographies and they would, they would put out these public statements about their various stars, and I think more than anything, the studio kind of embellished it a little bit. Um, so that may be the discrepancy between what Natasha was saying. But you have to remember, too, Natasha wasn't there through Marilyn's childhood, so she doesn't have firsthand knowledge of what happened. And I right. don't really see much reason to doubt what Marilyn said. Exactly. We, we know that Natasha um, felt uh, jilted when Marilyn turned to the Strasburgs and took on Paula Strasburg. And, um, you know, part of the reason for that was that N- Natasha was ill and out of work and started working on a manuscript, and Marilyn felt that she had sold out and was about to exploit her. And the manuscript is, is part of a collection which is um, uh, available but was never published and um, we, we can conclude that that's, that's more likely the reason for that relationship to have ended. And, and just to, to reiterate for the caller, uh, for the listeners that are out there, Natasha was Marilyn's acting coach. So just just for people that are wondering who Natasha is, we talked to her, uh, Leslie had mentioned her earlier in the, in the segment. So um, does that answer your question, Jean? Uh, yes, it does. Thank you so much. All right, great. All right, great. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. And now, finally, after a couple of weeks, we're back at the 8 o'clock. It seems like we can never get past that 8 o'clock hour, that 8 to 9 o'clock hour. I just want to recap a little bit because, you know, we got questions again about who Marilyn was talking to, you know, right before her death. And uh, it has come up to my attention again that Jose, who was uh, supposedly one of Marilyn, a Marilyn, uh, you know, lover uh, from Mexico, um, uh, that there is proof now, potentially, potentially, that he could have talked to her between eight and nine, that there is a um, a police, uh, you know, uh, the uh, newspaper article that talks about how the police wanted to question Jose about his last call to Marilyn the night before. Uh, Les- uh, Leslie or Gary or Mary Jane, who wants to jump in with this one? Uh, well, her relationship <laughs> with Jose Bolanos, first of all, um, to get that out of the way, is somewhat exaggerated. It was a, a kind of a PR ploy. Um, a lot of it was um, Pat Newcomb, who was uh, her press agent. A lot of her idea to kind of um, push Jose as um, this young Mexican rural man who was going to be escorting Marilyn um, around took her to the Golden Globes. But I don't think that there was any kind of serious relationship there or that they were really that close that Jose would have maybe spoken to her that night. As far as I know, there's no real evidence that he did speak to her. Okay. I've seen that um, she stopped seeing him after the Golden Globes, and they had a language barrier. He was Mexican, and she didn't speak Spanish. Um, So to present that he was having this long conversation with her (laughs) is a little outlandish. And he also... Uh, in an interview, said that he had spoken to her at 9.30 p.m., which is not possible based on what we know about her time of death. 
That's a very, very good point. And also, are we talking the Golden Globes of 62 or are we talking the Golden Globes of 61? Which Golden Globes March are we talking about? 62. Yeah. 62. Yeah, directly she, following her trip to Mexico. Yeah, she had gone to Mexico in February of 1962. And yep. that was when she was introduced to him. Okay. It, it, so She'd only known him for about a month or two at that point. And, and, and then, right after Marilyn's death, his attorney sent out um, a statement to the press that Jose Bolaños and Marilyn were to be married in September and that the attorney was notified of this and that we're making wedding plans. And um, Bolaños didn't have any um, comment to the press at the time, but they, they tracked down his mother in Mexico, and she denied any knowledge of that. And, um, and he never um, p- spoke publicly about the plans for marriage. All right, so his his lawyer just all of a sudden arbitrarily comes out and says they were planning on marrying, but he never commented, nor his mother uh, commented on the validity of this claim. Exactly, and, and I think a, a lot of that speculation came out of an interview that Eunice Murray, the housekeeper, gave um, Monday following Marilyn's death. She had a telephone um, interview, and then a few reporters showed up at, at her apartment, and she saw them and um, sent out a statement. Um, and, and she claims later that, that the press were misquoting her, but the gist of it was that there must have been some additional phone call that came through that had upset Marilyn and perhaps had been a trigger. So the police were actually investigating a possible additional phone call that Marilyn would have gotten after she retired into the bedroom. And there was a reinvestigation, I think, by Grover Armstrong, you know, trying to determine uh, who, who had made the, the call. And I don't know if um, someone suggested Bolaños or Bolaños's attorney um, injected him into the storyline just for some publicity. But um, the newspaper coverage, I think it was the Daily News and the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, has a lot of articles in the week uh, following Marilyn's death up to the funeral about the mystery phone call, who could it have been, was it um, the, the actor from Mexico. Some of it had a little bit of a, a tabloid flavor to it. Yeah, kind of the speculation of who mm-hmm. it could be. Now, a question I have for you is between March and August, is there any record of them ever talking any further about that? You know, not, not just in terms of their life. Was there any other interaction besides the Golden Globes? I mean, is there anything that we can trace, you know, kind of going back to the fact and fiction or probable theory? Because it would seem that if you're talking to somebody in March and there's no inner kind of connection, it'd be very, you know, I mean, it could have been coincidence that he just happened to be talking to her the last day of her life, but I think that would be highly unlikely unless they were talking all the way through. I'm not aware of anything. I I know that there was an article after Marilyn's death, and again, that was a tabloid that um, Bolaños claimed that Marilyn, um, while she was in Mexico, had asked him to assist her in the adoption of a boy um, who I think was orphaned in Mexico. Um, a reporter kind of took up that story and, and wrote about it. Um, I, I don't know that, if it, that it was corroborated by anyone else in Marilyn's life. She did make a visit to a, a, an orphanage um, while she was there and had inquired about adoption. I think she um, made a donation of about uh, $10,000. Um, so that might have been kind of part of that story. But he didn't accompany her to the orphanage. It was Patricia Newcomb who did. Um, I kind of agree that they, they did have a language barrier. He, he was very um, 
uh, enamored with Marilyn and kind of chased her throughout her tour of Mexico to, to buy furnishings. And I think he even brought a mariachi band um, to her, her, her hotel window in one of the small towns. And according to Mrs. Murray, Marilyn was rather embarrassed by the whole incident, but uh, had agreed to him as an escort in place of Sidney Skolsky, who she originally intended to um, escort her to the Golden Globes. And he was a kind of an unattractive, short, married man with children. And, of course, <laughs> Bolaños was um, probably someone who um, would have given Marilyn some publicity to, to show up, especially, you know, following her divorce. Um, yeah, so I could see as Pat Newcomb, a publicity and PR person herself, uh, you know, who would you rather have Marilyn show up at the Golden Globes with? So that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like he doesn't have a lot of credibility one way or the other in terms of her life, you know what I mean? So um, I, I think that's important. So let's go back to this 8 to 9 o'clock hour, and I know we've addressed this several times on the show, but I just, because it gets very confusing, there's a lot of people going in and out that day. Who do we know for sure that she spoke to, you know, from Dr. Greenson leaving, right, to the time of her death? Mary Jane, do you want to jump in with that one? Yeah, she spoke to, and this is absolutely unquestionably confirmed, she spoke to Joe DiMaggio Jr. Uh, She apparently phoned Greenson after her phone call with him. Uh, Peter Lawford called at some time between there, by all counts, that sounds credible. And then uh, Ralph Roberts' answering service got a phone call from a woman that was slurring and fuzzy voiced and and speculation is that it was Marilyn. Okay. Is there anybody else that we can confirm for sure, not through just their own account, but through what we know that could have talked to Marilyn, especially if what, Gary, you were talking about, the fact that there was some mysterious, potentially mysterious call, or she called somebody, one of the, is there any other proof of who she could have been talking to? There's a lot of people who try to claim that they were the last to speak to her, um, but when you kind of delve a little deeper into their accounts, they don't add up in the slightest. And those four are the only ones that have any credibility. Okay, so we have Joe DiMaggio Jr., we have Dr. Greenson, we have Peter Lawford, and we have Ralph Roberts. Yeah. Um, Okay. I mean, some of the other people who tried to claim it, uh, Sidney Guleroff, who was a hairdresser. I mean, Jose Bolanos claimed it. Louise DiMaggio, I'm not even going to address that one. Jeannie Carmen, they all claimed that they spoke to her. Um, but you look at the times that they're recorded as saying she called, and she was already gone by then. Yeah, so if you're looking at the time zone between 8 and 9, if it's past 9 o'clock, the chances of anybody talking to Marilyn, and unless it was the afterlife, it is, is right. not possible. So that's what we can confirm today. That's what we have in terms of fact. Um, so, so 9 o'clock or 9-ish hour happens, right? And also in between that time, though, there's also calls happening back and forth. Peter Lawford calls calls Milton Evans, which is um, his lawyer, right? Yes. Okay, and is that is that between eight and nine too? Yes. Okay. Um, now, Peter Lawford does Peter Lawford call Marilyn, or does Marilyn call Peter Lawford and say that famous line, which is "Say goodbye to the president"? He he claims that he made the phone call to her. 
Okay. So he made the phone call. She, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it, at least it's being uh, reported that way that that was her goodbye uh, note, right? Um, do we know for sure if that's um, what she said? Because there seems to be conflicting reports about the, you know, goodbye to the president and, and how accurate that was in regards to Peter Lawford. Yeah, Lawford didn't seem to remember that she said that until the mid-70s. Yeah, and, and, and why do you think that is? Could that be if there was some type of cover-up in terms of people not wanting to know there's any affiliation with the Kennedys, that that's why he kept his mouth uh, quiet, and then in the 70s he felt more at ease? I mean, tell me, uh, you know, what you guys are thinking in regards to that. What could have... Yeah, no, he. Go ahead. I was going to say, honestly, just my, my personal feeling about it is when Norman Mailer's book came out and Robert Slatzer's book came out, Blaming the Kennedys for Marilyn's death was, you know, the trendy thing to do. And then all of a sudden, Peter Lawford, who at this point had descended very far into drug and alcohol addiction, you know, wasn't the big actor he had been, had kind of faded away. Now, all of a sudden, he remembers, oh, yeah, Marilyn said to say goodbye to the president. And Hmm. maybe I'm cynical, but I think that's just let me get my name back in the papers. Okay, so and those we, close uh, to Marilyn said that she didn't really trust or particularly like Peter Lawford, and that she never would have turned to to him in a time of crisis. He does say that she had called earlier in the day to get uh, Patri- uh, Patricia Lawford's phone number in Hyannisport. Patricia Lawford was her friend, and she was away for the weekend. And um, all all throughout the day, Peter Lawford was trying to coax Marilyn into coming over, and it seems pretty clear that she wasn't interested. And he made the one final phone call to coax her. And um, initially, in the in the press, he just said that her voice kind of faded away. All right, we have to take another break, but this is very interesting because I think for a lot of fans out there, people that uh, read or have uh, you know watched interviews and watched documentaries. Uh, the impression is that Peter Lawford and Marilyn Monroe were very good friends. So let's find out more about this subject as we continue the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and join us right after the break. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarylandLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. With me is Leslie Kasperowitz from Immortal Maryland. We have Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland. I would invite all of you to go to the website, one of the largest and most uh, comprehensive websites of uh, fan clubs of Marilyn Monroe. And we have Gary Vitaco Robles, the mental health counselor, as well as best-selling author of Icon Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and two. So right before the break, we were talking about uh, the Peter Lawford call and, you know, how legitimate that call was and started to get into the relationship of Peter Lawford and Marilyn Monroe. For many of us, we've always thought, and so did I, is that they had a very friendly, if not uh, very um, uh, in-depth friendship, uh, not only because of uh, the Kennedys, but also Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, etc. And his name has always been uh, in the conversations as we talk about the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. So, uh, Gary, do you want to jump in there with uh, what you were speaking about uh, right before the break? Well, um, you know, the... Rupert Allen and um, I think Ralph Roberts uh, have taught, have really downplayed the the um, Peter Lawford connection and that Marilyn's friendship was really with the president's sister Patricia Lawford. Um, of course, Marilyn's linked to Peter through Frank Sinatra, but she's also linked to the Kennedys through her press agent Patricia Newcomb, who had worked for Pierre Salinger in the fifties and. Um, Patricia Newcomb's father did some business with Ethel Kennedy's father, um, who was Robert Kennedy's wife. So Marilyn had another direct connection to the family, uh, the Kennedy family, at least through her her press agent, well, who she I'd, was very close to. So what I'd like to do is maybe next week we can get more into the uh, relationship that Peter Lawford had with Marilyn Monroe, as well as get into the whole Patricia Newcomb, uh, that relationship, because I think that there are some significant players in Marilyn's life, and maybe there is some uh, uh, misinformation about how they were all related and how they really all connected with each other. So let's delve into that, but for time purposes, let's continue the conversation as Peter Lawford as one of those the last calls um, whether or not the goodbye to uh, the president happened or didn't happen the reality is is that there was a call um, that did take place with uh, Peter at least prompting Marilyn to um, come to his house now he had supposedly called her earlier in the day why do you think he was wanting her to come so you know, so, uh, you know, was so adamant that she, she come to the party. Leslie, you want to jump in on that? Um, I'm, I'm not certain why he so badly wanted her to come. It could simply be the cachet of having Marilyn at his home to impress his guests. Um, with his wife out of town, it, it's, um, a little bit odd that he wanted her there so badly. Um, um, as Gary had mentioned, she was really much better friends with his wife. Um, and so, it, and it may be that, um, they, it may be that there had been mentioned that she was feeling a little down and that some of her friends were trying to rally to get her out of the house and get her to, to do something that day. Um, but as, as Janie said, I think that, um, there's been a little bit of exaggeration too over the years as to how much of his conversations with her that day 
day uh, really took place and just how how worried he really was about her. Now, some of the the, the theories are that with uh, Bobby Kennedy potentially being in town, right, that he was trying to calm her down and trying to get her to come over to realize that everything was okay. Mary Jane, you want to jump in on that one? Uh, again, that's all entirely tabloid speculation. There's There's nothing to prove that Bobby had been anywhere near L.A. that day. Um, so this is just more of people trying to although, make things a little more Although I, I do have to say that there are law officials that actually claim that he was there that day, which would be uh, that they... there's one. <laughs> well, there's also... Um, uh, what uh, what is uh, oh my gosh I cannot believe I can't remember his name he's a huge I'll have to I'll have to remember his name and I'll get back to you next week on that one well actually you're not going to be here next week Mary Jane is not going to be on the panel for a few weeks she's going to be off on vacation um, but I think that it is another law official that I'll have to confirm whether or not we have this on tape but it wasn't uh, who was the law official that you know of I know it was uh, the mayor it was uh, Lynn Franklin. Claims to have pulled over a car containing uh, Bobby Kennedy, Peter Lawford, and Ralph Greenson. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, He appeared in a couple of uh, documents. He appeared in a a French documentary uh, speaking about that. And um, in the original documentary where he claimed this, he never mentions that Greenson was there. He, you know, remembered that later. Um, he said that he called the, the hotel that Bobby was supposed to be staying at. There's no record of that. And if you've ever tried to call a hotel and ask if a famous person is there, they're not giving you any answers. Um, you know who it is? Is Daryl Gates. Oh, yes, yes. The police chief. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that, because that's for him to go on record. He's very well regarded here in Los Angeles. That's that's a pretty strong statement for somebody to make um, that he that he knows for sure that he was there that day. Now, if I recall correctly, his statement that he said was that something along the lines of, oh, everybody knew Bobby was in town that day. He okay. never said anything along the lines of, oh, as the police force, we'd been notified or we did security. It was just everybody knew. So hmm. that's not really a confirmation to me. Yeah. That's maybe a bunch of people talking and it gets spread around and just kind of gets accepted. And I yeah. think it goes back to the mayor of um, L.A. at the time who says that he, this is all coming like second and third hand, that he heard it from, from Chief um, Parker, who was chief of police, of um, LAPD back in the early 60s, and the chief of police made a comment to the, to the mayor many years later, later that um, Bobby Kennedy was seen in town, um, but it's not, it's not an eyewitness account, and that, okay. I think, appears in Say Goodbye to the President. I would like to, this is one of the areas that I think we need to investigate further, and it would be wonderful if we could, um, if the Los Angeles officials would be able to open up whether or not we could have any records that say one way or the other, because uh, it's that's one of the most uh, difficult things to uh, discern, um, because there are some people that obviously believe that he was there and here, and there's other people that don't believe he was at all, but given the fact that we can't substantiate it, with the exception of what you just said, Mary Jane, which is, you know, uh, officials saying they're not going on the record specifically. But I think that 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 is something that's an area that I think we should investigate 
for the practical, for the purposes of this discussion, we don't have to do it right now, but I do think that uh, it's, it's, it's something to, um, to uh, investigate further. So is there anything else that we, we can, you know, talk about in regards to this hour and Peter Lawford's call before we, we keep moving further? Well, we have a lot of witnesses at the Lawford home. There was a dinner party going on, and we have uh, Joseph and Dolores Narr, um, George Durgum and his wife um, present, and um, Milton Evans and I believe his wife. So at okay. least one or two of those folks are, are still living. All right. And so though so they would be able to I mean and they if I'm not mistaken they were actually not aware of that there was any issue happening at the time, right? Well, George Durgum um was aware. So that might have been a conversation that went on behind closed doors with with Lawford and and, and Durgum was the one who encouraged Lawford not to become involved. And um that's why Lawford uh, contacted his manager Milton Evans but the, the NARS were not aware of it, and they went home, and um, after they arrived home, they claimed that Lawford called them to say if they would get back in their car and drive the short distance to Maryland's home, and by the time they were getting ready to do that, Lawford um, called them back to say that everything was, was okay because um, uh, Milton Rudin had called Mrs. Murray, who, who told him that. And if I if I remember correctly, Milton Evans calls Mickey Rudin. Milk, Milton Evans is Peter Lawford's lawyer for the, everybody trying to follow who the players are. Mickey Rudin is Marilyn's lawyer, right? Mickey Rudin then calls Eunice Murray, who is the housekeeper, and Eunice Mar- Murray goes and checks on Marilyn and says everything's okay, but doesn't actually knock on the door and do anything. Is that correct? Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't go out into the hallway to check. So, you know, this is speculation, but that just seems very odd. Wouldn't you, like, knock on the door or do something, if, especially if you're a psychiatric nurse and you are being told by the doctor to stay overnight when you don't normally stay overnight? Leslie or Mary Jane, you want to add to that one? Because that just seems very odd to me. Uh, it seems very odd to me as well. I have no idea why she wouldn't have actually checked on her when he called. And this is... This is the area of the story that's just so incredibly sad because, um, according to the, the reports, the, that was around nine o'clock. And we know that that was very close to the time when, you know, when Marilyn is passing away. And had Eunice Murray bothered to go and actually check on Marilyn, this is the point at which she might have been saved. Yeah, and it and, just seems very odd to me. Go ahead. And, 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 and Milton Rudin, I think it's significant that he's Dr. Greenson's brother in law. So a phone call from him to Mrs. Murray is a phone call from, um, you know, the attending doctor's relative to check on her charge. So it's not like out of the blue. Yeah, I mean, it just seems very odd. If you're a psychiatric nurse, you're being asked to spend the night and you don't actually go and check on her. You look under the door, you see the light on, and then you walk away. That just seems almost absurd to me that somebody would do something like that, especially being a nurse. Uh, just one thing is Eunice Murray was not a nurse in any capacity. She was not oh, a she wasn't. Okay. nurse or any other kind of nurse. Oh, that she was wasn't. Okay. She claimed later, but Got she it. had absolutely no professional experience doing that. Her so, only connection is that she and her husband owned um, Ralph Greenson's home. Um, they built the home and they sold it to him. 
and um, she was kind of obsessed with the home and maintained contact with Dr. Greenson afterwards as a way to stay connected to the home that symbolized so much for her. She and her husband eventually divorced, and that's why the home had to be sold. And so Greenson maintained a relationship with her and recommended to Marilyn that she hire her as a companion in November of 61. All right, let's back up the truck here, okay? So it's completely out there that she she she, so she wasn't even a nurse. Are you trying to tell me this? Yes, that's correct. She's not a <laughs> This is, see, I love this show because it's like, look at the stuff you learn, you know what I mean? So it's completely out there that she was a nurse, not only a psychiatric nurse. So you guys are telling me not only was she not a nurse, but she was somebody that owned Dr. Greenson's home. She loved his home. They, you know, stayed in contact. And then when she divorced her husband, Dr. Greenson hired her then to be a companion for Marilyn, but had no medical, uh, anything medical at all in terms of uh, experience? No. Oh, boy. No. That, that, she I'm she sorry. was kind of a personal assistant. She did the the laundry, she did some housekeeping. She, Marilyn wasn't driving in Los Angeles at the time and, and didn't have a car in Los Angeles. So um, when she didn't uh, hire a service or help Ralph, have Ralph Roberts drive her around, it was um, Mrs. Murray who did so. And Mrs. Murray was giving her, quote-unquote, um, uh, interior decorating services. She went with her to uh, Mexico and helped her select tiles and um, textiles and um, furnishings for the home. All right. So I think for next week's show, we're going to have to get into Miss uh, Eunice Murray. She seems to be a symbol that is throughout everything. We'll have to get with Peter Lawford and Pete New- uh, Patricia Newcomb as well. Um, we're getting close to the end of the hour. Uh, we certainly didn't get very far, but I think that we got some information clarified in regards to this show that I think is really important. And one of them, and I certainly didn't realize that uh, that Eunice Murray was not a nurse, and it is certainly out there in documentaries and books that she was a nurse and not only a nurse, a psychiatric nurse, which is not true. So that's some very good information. Um, In terms of our close, any last thoughts, Leslie? Um, Just that I think that where we're at right now, this nine o'clock hour is just, it's really important in the timeline because um, of the pathology telling us that this is, this is where Marilyn's life is ending. And these phone calls are supposedly flying and yet no one actually does anything to actually ensure that she's okay at this point. And that's always been a disturbing point for me. All right. And Mary Jane? Uh, Same thing. And, uh, you know, I, again, this is just my own personal speculation, but I often wonder if maybe Eunice actually did check on her and find her at that time. And that raises the question of what on earth happened in the ensuing hours. All right. And Gary, on that note... And why was there such a delay from Lawford's home not to become involved? Because the, the concern goes back to Lawford's home so much earlier in the evening and no one really taking any responsibility to drive the short distance to really check on someone they were concerned about. All right. On that note, the conversation will continue next week. This wraps another week's show. We have Gary Vitaco Robles. Thank you so much. Mary Jane Gray, we'll see you back in a few weeks. Thank you so much. And Leslie Kaspirowitz, we'll see you back here next week as well. 
as another lively discussion in the breakdown from fact and fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.